0: Hello and welcome to the Perusia Podcast. I'm Shabal Race, your host, and uh, we are on this series, the Footprints of God series. We've been journeying through salvation history with none other than Steve Ray. And uh, today's show is St. Paul, and it's Contending for the Faith. This is the DVD I'm Holding My Hands, and let's talk about this uh, as it's the second last one in the series at the moment. There will be another one later on, but uh, let's talk about St. Paul right now with Steve Ray. Hello, Steve. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Charbel. I uh, enjoy doing these with you. We have one more to go. Uh, and, uh, the Apostolic Fathers kind of continuing on the flow of history. We've done all the way from creation and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, then Moses and Joshua into the Promised Land, the kings and the prophets. And then we came to the intertestamental period where we had John and Mary. Mary then uh, conceived and gave birth to the word of God. And then we did Jesus, and then Jesus handed off the keys. He's the king. He owns the keys, handed the keys, delegated them to Peter. We talked about him last week. And now this guy, Saul of Tarsus, started out killing Christians, and uh, he kind of takes that gospel out to the world and does it. Half the books of the New Testament are written by Paul. Phenomenal. In the early part, we're going to try and remember to refer to him as Saul of Tarsus, and we'll call him Paul once he gets on the road. But uh, we cover him, that takes us up pretty much to the end of the New Testament. And then we're going to pick up next month with the Apostolic Fathers. These are the guys that heard these apostles and said they they still had their words ringing in their ears. No New Testament Mm -hmm. yet. What they had is the words and the vision and the practice of the apostles, which they carried as the apostolic tradition and the church went in the first and second century. So we'll do that next month.
0: And just before we dive into St. Paul, there is one more you got to film, right? Is, is that? Uh,
1: doctors of uh, the Church. Doctors it's not going to be church. all the doctors because there's, uh, I think, 35 of mean? them now, and that's too many to do. But we're going to do the first, really, the, the, the most well known first five, four okay. of them that are up in front of St. Peter's. The way I got the idea was in front of St. Peter's in Rome, there's four doctors of the church. There's Ambrose and Augustine from the West. Athanasius and John Chrysostom from the east and they're they're looking at the chair of Peter they're not holding it up but they're recognizing the chair of Peter there in the front of Rome so I'm I decided to do those four because they're there but also I couldn't leave Jerome out so we're going <laughs> to throw Jerome in the mix too so we've got him covered as well
0: Oh, that's exciting! So, that,
1: and the uh, the whole COVID hysteria got, got pushed that one off a bit, but hopefully, two thousand twenty-two yeah. or two thousand twenty-three will get that one done.
0: Yeah, please God. And then I'll have all
1: ten done. Then I can die, Charbel. I can go yeah. be with the Lord. I'll <laughs> have my big opus work done.
0: That's right. <laughs> well, we we've got to dive into Saint Paul. Uh, this, this is yeah, as you said, he's written more books. In the Old Testament than anyone else, half of the Old Testament is is him. New uh, let, let, oh, the New Testament, sorry. Um, let's talk about that. Uh, who is Saint Paul? Uh, Saul. As let's pick up uh, from the beginning there.
1: Well, if people want to go on a cruise with us, we're going to do that in October. I got to get that out, and we're going to follow the footprints of Saint Paul all through the Mediterranean Sea, uh, Greece and Turkey and places like that. But hit his early life he was born in Tarsus. Now, you know, what's Tarsus? Well, Tarsus is today just above Syria and Lebanon in Turkey. And I've been there a number of times and it was 250,000 people lived there at the time. It was a huge city and it had eclipsed Athens. In other words, Athens was a has-been. used to be the center of Greek culture and learning and philosophy, but that had Faded away and Tarsus was the new center. Why would God have this young Jewish boy named Saul born in a Greek city like that? Because God is very smart and knew someday that that boy would be the apostle to the uncircumcised, to the Greek. So he gave him a taste of the Greek culture and life and philosophy by having him born and raised in the center of it until he got to be a certain age, where then he moved to Jerusalem. But his name was Saul. He didn't he's let me make a distinction between him and Peter. Peter only had one name, Simon. Mm-hmm. But Jesus gave him a new name because he gave him a new office or a dignity, and his new name was Peter the Rock. This wasn't the case with Saul. He didn't get a new name. He had two names from birth. That's because he had a Roman passport. He was Saul, the Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And so he had another Roman name, which was Paul. Saulus and Paulus were his two names. Mm -hmm. Funny thing is, Saul was the the first king of Israel, and he was very tall and handsome. It says that he stood head and shoulders above any other man in Israel. That means he was big and tall and handsome. Saul got his name from him, but he was not tall. He was small and he wasn't handsome. And he got the new name Paul, his Roman name, not a new name, but he got his Roman name Paul, which happens to mean small. So it's kind of a funny play on words. Saul means big and tall, which he wasn't. And his Jew- Roman name was Saul, and he was small, and he was, we figure he's probably about five feet tall. We'll talk about his appearance later. So he had two names a Jewish name and a Roman name, and he had a Roman passport. Now, it was unusual for Jews to have Roman passports or to be a Roman citizen. They were considered, the Jews were considered an obnoxious, strange people. They mutilated themselves. The Romans couldn't understand why they would circumcise. They considered that a mutilation. And when they wanted to humiliate a Jew, they would make him show himself. But they, 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 the Jews were not popular with the Romans. They were this little backwater country. They considered it to be the armpit of the empire. And nobody wanted to go be the governor of that area because they were stubborn people. They had this book And they said this book was from God. And they said there's only one God. Can you believe it? We all know there's Apollos and and Jupiter and all the other gods. But these crazy people say there's only one God. And he gave them a book. And they think that by that book, they don't have to do anything that us Romans tell them they have to do. So we have to make concessions. But anyway, that's just a funny little thing about the culture. But Saul of Tarsus lived in both worlds. He lived as a Jew a Pharisee, a Pharisee is a Hebrew, circumcised on the eighth day, and as to the Jewish law, blameless, he says, but at the same time, he's living in a Greek culture, learning Greek in the way of the pagans, but they would have been separated from them, but they would have been there learning that culture, and with that passport, it served him well, because it gave him the freedom to travel all over the Roman Empire, the Romans had built 250,000 miles of main roads all over the empire and a million smaller roads. And I walked on many of those roads because they were so well built that in some places you can still walk on them. I walked on them in Tarsus, in Philippi, in Rome, all kinds of these Romans they built, these arteries that went all the way across. But uh, he traveled over 6,000 miles on those roads, Paul did. But Saul of Tarsus lived in both worlds and had a Roman passport. And I'll just say, lastly, they served him well, that passport, because he could travel well, like I can travel around the world with my American passport. And one time, the Roman centurion threw this Jewish guy down with his beard and all. He was just obviously Jewish, threw him to the ground and was going to whip him. And Paul looks up at him, Saul of Tarsus, yeah, he was Paul then, looks up and he says, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen? who has not been tried and the soldier turns white and he goes you're a roman citizen paul said yes the roman centurion said i purchased my citizenship with a large sum of money and paul looks up and he says i was born a roman citizen i love that not only because it shows that god was smart in giving him roman citizenship but i love it that paul was so feisty he would fight with anybody. He was a scrapper.
0: Yeah, and he knew and he knew obviously the law and he knew um the culture, which and is which it. is this brilliant God picking this man to do the work he was about to do. Um,
1: and he would have spoken five languages. Wow. He would have spoken Greek because that was the language everybody had to speak, and he lived in a Greek city of, of Tarsus. He would have known Hebrew because that was the religious language of the Jewish people. Yes. But they spoke on day to day. They didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic, hmm. which some people in your country of Lebanon can still speak, by the way. Syrian Lebanon can still speak that language of Jesus and Paul Aramaic. And he would have also known Latin because he was a Roman. And I think he would have known another language, which I made up. It's called Tarsian, because we know that those little uh, provinces had their own dialects. Mm. And so this area of Tarsus would have had its own dialect so he would have spoken at least five languages very educated man.
0: Amazing. Now in in the uh the film the, the DVD you you traveled six countries uh right. were, were covered and you also have um a blog people would not realize but you've you've got a regular blog about St Paul as well on your website.
1: I put up things uh, every day on my blog, not always on St. Paul, but there's a lot of things on St. Paul. Just type in yes. Paul in the search engine, like Malta, you'll see where uh, where I went and discovered the place where he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. I've got de- uh, videos that i made, YouTube videos about the last days of his life, where he was in prison, where he was buried yeah. in the catacombs, where he was. And I, I go to all those places and show them to you. So, yeah, go on my blog at catholicconvert.com. And do a search for Paul or these kind of things, and uh, there's a lot up there on, on him, and also in my documents. Brilliant.
0: Can we talk about now his family moving to Jerusalem? Um, yep. When when was that? And, and I why? think
1: that when he was a little older, I know we know that he had a sister you know most people don't realize that he had a sister and a nephew we learned that later in acts because the nephew comes and tells him about a plot to kill him and so we know at least he had a sister and a nephew we don't know anything about his other relatives obviously his father or his grandfather they were tent makers that's what they did for a living they made tents with cilician goat wool the wool in cilicia that's where tarsus is in that area it was in that province of cilicia And they had these wonderful goats. And in my movie, I'm there holding these goats and you smell like lanolin. It takes a while to get that lanolin smell off of you, which is that kind of the oil in the wool. And when you make a tent out of it, you can see through the tent, but rain can't come in. So it's really kind of a cool tent. So his father and his probably his grandfather, they were tent makers and they passed the trade on to Paul, who was then a tent maker. And so and he. They moved to Tarsus. We don't know why. But I think what happened is somewhere along the line, they said this boy, his brain cells connect. This is a sharp hmm. kid. This isn't your average kid. You go out and give him a trade like welding or a car mechanic or something. This kid, we got to get him to the best university. He's they Let's get him to Jerusalem. Put him under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the brightest of the rabbis. Even today, he's not referred to as rabbi, but rabbon, our rabbi. He is even to this day recognized that way from the first century. So now you've got the best and the brightest of the students sitting at the feet of the best and the brightest of the Jewish rabbis. Tell me God's not smart. Tell me he doesn't know what he's doing. Paul even says that from his womb, God prepared him.
0: Mm -hmm. Just like
1: Jeremiah said that he was from his mother's womb. He was called to do this. John the Baptist also from the womb, and Psalm says that God knits us in our mother's wombs, and He knows our days. So, what a pro-life argument this is, huh? What if what if Paul's mother had gone out and got an abortion? We would have lost the great Saint Paul. But he they moved to Jerusalem because I think they had the under knowledge that he was a smart boy and they wanted to get him in the best of education and they did and gamaliel was a great teacher and paul studied under gamaliel he's mentioned several times in the new testament as being part of the sanhedrin and very well respected and uh, so that's where he went to learn now moving through this there's so many things we could say and in my talk i give on paul i've actually done a talk for four hours on paul to the seminarians in our diocese we did what I'm doing now <laughs> with you like 50 minutes i did for yeah. four hours with these guys um because paul is a, is a fascinating character but he um the the jewish rabbis taught a couple of things and it's interesting to know one is that when your boy is five years old you teach him the scriptures when he is 10 years old you teach him the tradition and when he's 13 years old he becomes a son of the law we talk about bar mitzvah bar means son of mitzvah is law so at the bar mitzvah the boy now becomes an adult jew himself and he becomes a son of the mosaic law he's now obligated to obey it on his own and also responsible for it if he disobeys it So that was what the fathers had to do. And they also, the rabbis taught that they had to teach their son a trade, even if they were going to be a doctor of the law or in the courts, they needed to know a trade because to not teach your son a trade was to make him a thief because he wouldn't have a way to make a living. So from the very beginning, not only was Saul trained to be a doctor of the law and an theological student like that, a scribe, a Pharisee, and a doctor of the law, but he was also taught to be a tent maker, which served him well. So now he's in Jerusalem, and he had heroes, just like we have saints. I think your saint is probably Saint Charbel, and I'm grateful to him, too, because my two daughters were infertile and couldn't have babies. A friend of ours went to Lebanon, put their pictures at the tomb of Saint Charbel, and prayed for them. and two months later, both of those daughters had pregnancy. They were pregnant. But we all have saints. We loved certain saints. And the New Testament characters also had saints that they loved. Mary had saints like Deborah and Hannah and Sarah and all of these. And, And Paul had a saint. And I think that Paul's favorite saint was, his name was Phineas. Now I think this because Paul on several occasions said, I was zealous for the God of Israel. When somebody says something like that, you, you look those words up and they you'll usually find that they're being used for a reason. I was zealous for the God of Israel. He says in Philippians, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, Benjamin's tribe was the warrior tribe. It says in one place that a Benjamin tribe, they had 700 left-handed slingers who could sling a ha- stone at a hare and never miss. They were the ones that were the warriors. Nobody messed with the Benjamin. And don't tell me Paul didn't have that warrior blood in him. Circumcised on the eighth-day nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a warrior tribe. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. That's Paul's Mm -hmm. analysis of himself before he became a follower of Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. But he says the word zeal. And he says Hmm. in other places, I was zealous more than my, all of my other countrymen, I was zealous. So you do a look for the word zealous and it takes you back to Numbers chapter 25. And you'll find a man named Phineas who was zealous for God. And a man had sinned right in the presence of Moses and Aaron, the high priest. And he took this woman into a tent and you know what they were doing in that tent. And Phineas knew it and he went right in with his spear and he, Right while they were in their sleeping bag, he put the spear right through both of them and pinned them to the ground and killed them. And because of that, the plague was stopped. And because of that, it says the same thing of Phineas that God said of Abraham. It says of Abraham, because you believed me, it will be counted to you as righteousness. But we read in Psalm 106 that because Phineas did these things, it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was zealous even to killing people. He was zealous for the name of God to preserve and to purify the people of Israel. And that was St. Paul's hero. So when St. Saul's hero. So when Saul of Tarsus went after the Christians, he was only doing what his hero Phineas had done. These Christians... These followers of this carpenter who got hung on a cross, who by the way is so stupid as to follow someone who died on a cross. And then his magtag bunch of motley crew fishermen and tax collectors, and these guys went out and they were taking people away from the temple and telling them that Yeshua was the Messiah and he's the fulfillment of the temple. And you don't have all these Gentiles can now come in and they don't need to be circumcised. We got to stop these guys. They're as bad as the sinner in the book of Numbers 25. And Saul of Tarsus raises up and he's zealous for God, like his hero Phineas. And he mm. goes after the Christians. There's a little bit about, was he wrong to do what he did? not in his mind, in his mind, he was only doing what God required of him.
0: Yeah. Interesting. That's a good point. Um, putting ourselves in his mind, the famous, uh, part there was the St. Stephen's uh, stoning, right? We were, we see how Saul was overseeing that. Um,
1: yeah.
0: and he was happy for that. And he went, then tell us, uh, he went, he was on his way to uh, Damascus. Uh, he wanted to even find more of these Christians, but, uh, yeah, God had another plan. <laughs>
1: yes. When we, when we, um, Uh, go to Israel. We stop at a place on the Syrian border. Many times we heard the bombs going off in the Christian village just on the other side of the border. And we could see the smoke and the clumps and the machine guns shooting. We were that close. And right there is the road. And I tell people this is right the road that Saul of Tarsus was traveling on. And see that little hill over there? Damascus is only 20 minutes beyond that hill where we're standing there in Israel. But he goes to the Sanhedrin, which is the court. It's the Supreme Court of Israel, and it was not just had jurisdiction over the Jews within the 8,000 square miles of Israel, it had jurisdiction over Jews everywhere they were in the world. And Hmm. so Saul, I think, was a member of the Sanhedrin or a representative of it, because not only was he so zealous and part of the law and a Pharisee and all this, but also it says that he was giving his approval. Now, if I'm a representative of the Sanhedrin and they've given permission to go kill him, they say they send me out as an emissary and I'm there representing the Sanhedrin, giving my permission. Then they give him papers to go get the guys in Damascus. So I think he was there at the stoning of Stephen as a representative of the Sanhedrin, giving the legal authority to stone Stephen. And he said that he collected his coats and watched over the coats. And he was there when Stephen prayed. Now, I want to get this in before I forget at the end, because when I know we're going to be rushed for time when we get to the end. We're already half done almost. But when I went to the Bones of St. Paul, when I was filming that movie, in the in the Church of St. Paul outside the walls where his bones are, there's a chapel to St. Stephen. And named, hmm. being named Stephen, I, I went in there and I sat and prayed. And then I thought, why would they put a chapel of St. Stephen here in the Church of St. Paul? It dawned on me why. Augustine said, if it were not for the prayers of St. Stephen, we would not have St. Paul.
0: Wow. What what do you mean? Please explain. Wow.
1: St. Stephen prayed for his persecutors when he was being stoned, and his prayers were answered by God giving the church the great St. Paul. So St. Augustine saw the correlation, and I remembered that quote when I sat there. If, st- if there had not been for the prayers of St. Stephen, the church would not have had St. Paul. So it was his prayers as he was dying that God answered with the great St. Paul. He said, I'm going to convert this guy right here who's in charge of the whole execution. Now, in my movie on St. Paul that you showed there, I demonstrate what a stoning was like. It was done in a quarry you go find a quarry where there's rocks and you take the convicted man and you put him on a cliff 10, 12 feet high. You push him off the cliff down below. If that doesn't kill him, then the main accuser takes a big rock from up on top and chucks it down on the convict down below to crush him. If he doesn't die, then everybody else has to pick up rocks. And it's a community effort because it's a community execution to purify the people. The way I demonstrated it was I had a big watermelon and I put that down there like Stephen, And I went up on top and I took a big rock and I slow motion, shoo, and I showed what it was like to do a stoning mm-hmm. and how what a horrendous way that would be to die. Now, in Acts 13 and 14, Paul goes up near his hometown of Tarsus to a city called Lystra, and he got some of his own medicine. The people of Lystra took him out, and they stoned him outside the city gates. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that once I was stoned by with rocks, and that was in Lystra. Little teenage Timothy watched it happen. And when Paul came back through there, Timothy was so impressed with him, he became a disciple of Paul and followed him from there. See how all these little stories interweave together? Yes, absolutely. The, the Bible, the story of the Bible is fascinating. Well, anyway, so now Saul has, they've stoned Stephen. And he's riding his horse up to Damascus. Now, the, there's always the contention whether he rode a horse or not, nobody knows. All the great artists show Saul on a horse. They say falling off the, in the movie, I was riding a horse and I fell off the horse and look up at the sun and we got it all on camera. But the only problem was it took 10 times before we got all the footage right. And I was very sore the next day from falling off that horse 10 times. I did it. I was raised with horses, so I know how to do that. And but I really did. I gallop up, boom, I'd fall off and they get up. Oh, you got to do it again. We didn't get quite the shot we need. So anyway, that that's in the movie. I think it was because um, rabbis rode donkeys or mules, regular people walked, but military rode horses. And this Mm. was a military, this was the temple guard. It was not only a religious kind of quasi military, it was also had its civil components in Jerusalem. So I think that Paul had a military exposition, expedition and he was out on a horse. Now he gets within nine miles of Damascus and this is, kind of the central point of Paul's life, except for his martyrdom. And he is now nine miles out. And I've stood in that place a number of times. I gave you some pictures of those. I sent them over to you. And he was um, nine miles out. And when I went there with Janet, when we were preparing to film this, I stood in the dusty road there. There's a chapel called the Chapel of St. Paul's Vision. And from there, you can look through the trees and off to the side a little bit and look down and you can see Damascus nine miles in the distance kind of in the valley and it's very hot at the time. And it's hot up there anyway. Well, competes with Jericho is the oldest city in the world. They argue about that. Which one's the oldest, Damascus or Jericho? This was, um, you know, this was 20,000 years of civilization. So old cities. Wow. And it's a beautiful city. Uh, it's it's probably still is. I haven't been there since the wars, but um, I can imagine it's still a beautiful city. And I stood there, Charbel and I wept. I really wept because I thought for a bit and my good wife just stood there with me, but I thought about what happened at that point, 2000 years ago, right where I was standing in sandals, dusty shoe, feet myself like Paul had, Saul had. And I thought about what God did at that point in calling that man to serve him and what an absolutely profound impact it had, not just on the church. We think of St. Paul as church history, not even Mm. close. We think St. Paul, it's world history. There's nobody besides Jesus who has affected the Western world more than he has. Nobody has had more books written about him other than Jesus. Half the books of the New Testament, he changed the world. He went out and preached and taught. He brought the gospel to the world. Would it had done so without him? I don't know. God had a plan, but he's the guy that made it happen. He's the guy that suffered and eventually died to get the gospel to us. So I stood there and I wept. And then my wife, for the movie we were making, my wife walked over and stomped on my foot like that. Now the point she was making, Jesus says, Saul, Saul. When he says it twice, it's a warning, but it's also affectionate. Like my daughter, I'd say, Emily, Emily. But also she's crossing the road and the car's coming. Emily, Emily. When you Mm. say things twice, there's a lot of meaning to it. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? Not what he said. He said something very strange. Why do you persecute me? How could Saul persecute him? He's in heaven. What's he going to do? Take a rock and try and stone Jesus? How's he going to, rocks is going to come back and bounce off his head. How can he persecute Jesus? But we learn when my wife stomped on my foot, I yelled, ouch. And I said, notice that's my foot that hurts, but my head yelled, ouch. Jesus is the head of the body. We are the mystical body of Christ, you and I. Some of us are mouths, big mouths, always talking. Some of mm. us are ears and eyes and hands and feet. We all have our part in the body. We all have our function. No part of the body can say more important than you. If we get a chicken bone stuck in our throat, it's only our throat that hurts, but our whole body is affected by it. Mm. And so the body is all made up of parts, individual parts, and we are all a part of that body. When Saul persecuted the church, Jesus, the head yelled, ouch. In the book of Ephesians, it's all about the body of Christ. The twin epistle is Colossians. They're twin epistles written at the same time. Paul even says, when you get done reading, switch them and read the other one. Okay. And so the Colossians is all about the headship of Christ. So you've got the two together. Colossians is all about Jesus being the head. Ephesians is all about Jesus being the body. You put the two together and you get the whole Christ and in that is the is the foundation of all of Saul's the apostle Paul's future doctrine his whole theology comes from the question why do you persecute me because everything he teaches from then on is about us being in Christ and Christ being in us i think i i came up with the fact as 33 times in the book of ephesians alone where the word in him, in Christ, in Jesus are used. I did a special search and it was something like 33 times in six small chapters where it's you are in Christ because baptism places you into the body of Christ. Everything is about the body of Christ. Everything is about the church and us being in the church in Christ. And that's, he gets that from the question. The question of Jesus was the seed of all of his theology from that point on. It was was that, from that it grew out. So now he is persecuting the church, but not any longer, and because he, oh, I, I don't want to forget that he comes into into uh, Damascus, and there's a road there yes. called Straight Street, and it's still there today. You could still go to Straight Street today, and there's a, ch- a house there. It's called the Church of Ananias. It's where Ananias lived, and of course, I went there and talked from, in my movie, from the House of Ananias on Straight Street. He was to go talk to Ananias, he was blinded. He had scales. I'm spending time here because this is the conversion, very important. Yes. Scales on his eyes, and he can't see. And he has to now be led by hand. There's some great artwork of him being led into Damascus. He thought he was going to come in there conquering, riding in on a horse, and instead he's a little boys leading him in, and he can't even see. And he gets there and Ananias is terrified of him because Ananias is probably one of the guys that left Jerusalem during the persecution to escape. And now he's safely up 150 miles away in Damascus, thinks he's okay. And now all of a sudden this Saul guy comes there Mm -hmm. and Jesus knocks on his door. And Ananias said, yes. And Jesus said, I want you to go lay hands on a man. He said, what's his name? Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go lay hands on him. And Ananias says, he's coming here to lay hands on me. You want me to go lay hands on him? Well, he goes to pray for him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you tarry? Arise and accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and ask him to come into your heart. It's not what he said. That's what I would have said as a Baptist. Yes. But he said, arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. How do you get your sins washed away? By baptism. Mm. Well then, he does that, and then he says, "I, you need to know how much you're going to suffer for Christ." Well, let's say, for example, Sharbel, that you're going out looking for a new job. I know you love working at Perusia. You're doing a good job of it, too, by the way. But say you go out and look for another job, and you you go see the human resource manager, and they said, "Okay, well, I want you to know that if you come work for this company, you're really gonna suffer. Let me tell you how much you're gonna suffer working for this company." You're gonna say, "Are you crazy?" I'm not working for a company that promises I'm going to suffer. I'm out of here. I'm gone. But Saul of Tarsus heard those words and he took the job, even Mm -hmm. knowing how much he was going to suffer for Jesus Christ, who he would have called Yeshua, the Meshach, the Messiah. So I sent you a picture of me coming down a three-story wall because once he became in the city, he started preaching Yeshua to everybody. And they just they could not know what's going on. They thought he was a subversive undercover guy coming into. But eventually they realized he really was a now a Christian. And so he has to escape. And the only way they could escape because they had guards watching the city gates is they had to at night lower him down over the city wall in a basket. Well, I bought a big basket and I bought a big rope and I hired five guys and they lowered me down off of the three-story wall onto the main street where cars and trucks are going and I'm thinking. And the problem I is, that. I do. I, I just I, the, the basket started to spin and I don't do good with spinny stuff. You know, I, I can go up and down like on a roller coaster, but the spinny stuff I don't like. It gets me sick. So that basket started spinning. The rope was twisted and anyway, I came down the the wall in a basket in Damascus. I had to do it. My movies are all very real and I do real very things hands on. But <laughs> I do remember the guys the, the, they was jerking and they're going, "Maybe we should have had more guys up here." And I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to I'm going to crash." <laughs> but I he he escaped now. We don't know much about what he does after that. Now he it says there's a, he says at one point there's a 14 year time. He went back to Tarsus in Turkey. He at one point, met with Simon Peter. But it's interesting how he says it. It's for people who think that Peter and Paul are enemies. He said, I went up to Jerusalem and I met for two weeks, but only with Cephas. Do you know what that says? I went up to meet with the rock. Yes. I went up to see the rock. So it also says that he went to Sinai, which is interesting because in the book of Galatians, he uses the word Sinai twice. Once he said, I went away to Sinai. It's like he's being prepared. But then he says, Mount si- the Mount, Moses' mountain is in Sinai. So I think he went to Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb is another name for it. So that he who is going to be the new teacher of the law and grace could go there to learn it the same place that Moses learned it and Elijah the prophet. So Moses was there to give the law. Paul went there to be emphasized and to learn the new law of Christ. So he went to Sinai and then he came back and eventually he was in, in Acts chapter 12, of Acts chapter 11, he was in um, Antioch, which today is called Antakya and it's in Turkey, right just a couple miles from the border with Syria. Yes. And there he was with all of the believers. Now, these were Gentiles. Many of them were Gentile believers, which is a big problem for the Jews. But it says that uh, we were first called Christians here. Acts chapter 11, 26. We were first called Christians here in Antioch. Now, he it says that they, it's uh, a little bit, I, I love this, is a little bit of God's irony, and I, I think a little bit of his humor that comes through. You've got to look in the Bible for the humor, but there's humor in God all the way through if you pay attention. So they're praying together. Paul, Saul, and he's still called Saul, and Barnabas, and a bunch of others were praying in the church, and it says they were doing liturgio liturgy, which is mm-hmm. called the work of the people. It says that we were serving, but in the in the Greek, it's liturgio. It's what they were, liturgy is they were doing. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, to the work that I will send them. And they sent them out. Now, the funny thing is the word Pharisee means separate, separated out. Yes. So Saul had been a arrogant, self righteous Pharisee set apart from everybody else, and the Holy Spirit kind of winks and says, Set apart Saul for me now for the work that I've called him to do. In other words, now he's going to be a real Pharisee. <laughs> you know that he said that with a twinkle in his eye, there's no way you couldn't. And then it said, and they were sent out. You know what the word apostle means? It comes from the Greek word to send, to be sent. That's all the word apostle means in, in Greek is to be sent. So he is set apart as a true Pharisee now in this great play on words with the Holy Spirit winking at us. And then he is sent out to be an apostle all in that one little verses in Acts chapter 13. He goes out and he begins his first missionary journey with Barnabas and now begins the missionary life of St. Paul and his letters. So we've, we've really come a long way. I know we're all, time is short. We've really come a long way, but I wanted to, a lot of people know his epistles and they know how he died, but I wanted yeah. to talk about Paul, what people don't know. What was his childhood like? Yes, please. Aspects of the conversion, and the, which I think is probably new for a lot of people. What did Paul look oh, yes. like?
0: Yes. What What did he look like?
1: Uh, I, when I'm in Corinth, and I'll be in Corinth with people in October, if you want to go with us, it's on my website right now, right up on my blog. Anyway. I always say when we're in Corinth, if Paul had come walking by, would you have recognized him? Now, first of all, after he was called, remember we just said in Acts 13 there Mm -hmm. where he was called now, from that point on in the Bible, he is referred to as Paul. All the way up until that point, the book of Acts refers to him as Saul because he's still in his Jewish world. Mm -hmm. But once he's goes out on his missionary journeys. He's now called, Peter's called to the circumcised, to the Jews. Paul is called to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcised Greeks. And from that point on, he uses his Roman name. Mm. Interesting. They don't refer to him as Saul anymore, unless they refer to his conversion. But now, from now on, he is Paul. The Roman name, Roman citizenship, Roman passport, he's on his way out to convert the Gentiles in the Roman world. If what did he look like? There's a document from the second century called uh, the, um, the Acts of Thecla. And Thecla was one of Paul's converts who became like a nun and she wouldn't get married. She wanted to live a, seclu- a celibate life for Jesus. And in there's a description, it says that he was short. So I think about five feet tall. He was bald headed, very handsome in that way. And a big nose, big Roman, uh, kind of a Jewish nose. It said that he had, um, his his legs were bowed legs, kind of like his knees stuck out. And it said that he had only one eyebrow. It was one of those long ones that started here and it went all the way across, called a unibrow. There's no break in the middle for the nose. There's just one big eyebrow all the way across. And that is what they said that he looked like. And that sometimes he had the voice of an angel and sometimes the voice of a man. Now, I can't think of Paul being angelic. I just think of him being kind of caustic and tough and rough. And uh, he says, you stupid Galatians, who's bewitched you? And of the circumcisers, the Jews that went around saying the Gentiles had to be circumcised. Paul's really mad at them. He said, those guys, I wish that they would just slip with the knife and cut the whole thing off. This is the Paul I think of, you know, the go right after him, get in their face. I went, I confronted Peter to his face because he stood condemned. But the early believers said that he had a very angelic aspect about him too. Well, he's the guy that wrote 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. You can just see Paul being like a gentlemanly old grandfather. But now we embark on. Many years of imprisonment, many years of suffering, and um, during these travels, he went on three missionary journeys. Very grueling, sometimes a, a year or two long. He stayed in Ephesus for two years. He stayed in Corinth for eight uh, for eighteen months. He lived there with them for a year and a half, and he lived in Ephesus for two years. And um, he he suffered a lot. Um, I like to say, how much did he suffer? Well don't have that sometimes i have it written here but but it's in second corinthians chapter 11 he says seven times i was whipped with the lash five times i'm sorry five times that's like mel gibson's movie jesus being lashed peter paul was lashed with a whip like that five separate occasions so when the galatians said to him you're not really a servant of jesus Paul said, I bear in my body the brand marks of Christ, which means that in the Old Testament or even in the Roman Empire, if you were a servant, they would take your ear and they'd put a awl and they'd mark you or they'd put a brand on your forehead. They'd make something like a cow or a sheep or you brand them and burn something into their skin. So, you know, he belongs to my farm. But the slaves in the old times, they had brand marks on them, too. And Paul says, you say I'm not a real servant of Jesus Christ. You just shut up. He said, I don't want to hear from you again, he says, because I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus Christ. And if you wanted to know how much Paul suffered for Jesus, all you had to do is say, "Paul, Saul, take off your shirt. And he'd take his shirt off, open his robe, and you would see scar tissue on his stomach and his legs and his buttocks and his back where he'd been flogged with those so many times. And it rips the meat right off. It goes right, cuts in, and hits the bone and rips. When Jesus was being whipped in Mel Gibson's movie, if you were within 20 feet of that, you were splattered with his blood and little pieces of his flesh. Paul was whipped like that five times, three times beaten with rods. Rods are like getting with a water hose. It doesn't cut your skin, but it bruises and breaks the bones underneath. Three times I was shipwrecked once a night and a day in the deep. He was actually shipwrecked four times because he shipwrecked again in Acts after he wrote Second Corinthians in Malta. And he spent a night in the deep floating out in the Mediterranean. Ways. can you imagine? He said, I suffered in prison. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea Maritime, then two years in prison in Rome. He spent almost as much time in prison as he did out doing ministry. So he had a rough lot of travels. And the part of his travels that we do know were probably about 6,000 miles. And it was tough. He, he walked. This guy was a walker. But when you traveled by ship, which he did, we know he did four shipwrecks, he traveled a lot because the it was like the Internet of the Roman Empire. It was like the freeway system, the roads, you know, the airport, everything was off the Mediterranean. That's how you moved, because the ships could go across faster than you could walk all the way around right. from Israel up through uh, uh, Syria and over into Asia Minor and all over. It would just take forever to get there, but the ships would go. But they were not cruise ships, like I'm going to be going on in October. These were cargo ships, They're the only kind. They, uh, Egypt was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire, and they would ship these huge uh, vessels full of wheat and full of all of this product, this merchandise. And if mm-hmm. you wanted to ride on a ship, you had to purchase space on the deck. So you would be responsible for your own self. So you'd say like, okay, well, we're going to give you these 10 square feet, $100 for you, and you'd have to go and you'd make a little tent. You'd have to bring your own food. If you had to go to the bathroom, you just kind of stick your butt over side of the ship and go. And you lived on the deck of the ship. Can you imagine when the storms came? Paul says in, in uh, Acts chapter 27 is the main chapter there, maybe 26, 27, uh, that they went through a storm and they ended up on Malta for the winter. But he said for two weeks, they ate nothing on the ship. They couldn't see the stars or the sun. It was dark and the ship was hot. Everybody was so sick, they couldn't eat. And they had to throw, jettison is the word. They had to jettison, throw off all of the grain that they're bringing from it. It was an Alexandrian ship from Egypt. And they had to throw all the grain off the ship to lighten it so that it, and so it was a rough way to travel. I'll tell mm-hmm. you one thing, Paul was a tough, tough man, which is why so many, he had a hard time keeping followers his followers, he say, so-and-so abandoned me. Well, of course, you never let the guy sleep. You never let the guy even stop to go to the bathroom. I mean, this, you, you were, one night, it says that before he crossed over into Greece, it says that he was, he came into the village and, and he got up and he went on the third floor and he was teaching the people. And there was a man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill. And Paul talked after they had the mass, he talked and talked and talked until midnight. Eutychus fell asleep fell out the window, died down three stories on. Paul went down, prayed for him, got him back to life, went back up. And I'd say, okay, it's probably time we all go to bed. And he said he kept teaching him all night long until the sun came up. He bid them farewell and went on his way. I mean, the guys traveled all day. Then he teaches all night, doesn't stop. Guy dies. He raises him from the keeps right on talking. And then says goodbye, has breakfast, and he's on his way for another day. Now, how do you keep up with a guy like that? He says Demas loved the world and he left me. I yeah, I would. get to heaven. We might find out it wasn't so much the world that Demas <laughs> just couldn't keep up with him. But Timothy and Luke stayed with him till the end, and Titus. These guys were loyal. They never left his side. They stayed with him. They were loyal to him, even to coming to his prison. I I, I think we. You tell me where we're at and what we should do. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I mean, you've explained what travel was like. Can we go? I mean, phenomenal the way St. Paul traveled and um, I'd like, we're going to go into his death now. Um, Like, how did he die? Where did he die? Um, Okay,
1: good. we can close out with that. But I'd like to say one more thing I just remembered about his travels and his books, the cities that he went to were wicked cities. For example, Mm -hmm. Corinth, where he lived for 16 months, it was a port city. It was full of slaves and sailors and soldiers and merchants and prostitutes. In fact, that's the book where Paul mentions prostitutes because there were, it says Strabo said that from the mountain, there was a temple up there to Aphrodite. And that 10, a thousand prostitutes came down out of the temple every night and went among the people. And he is saying to the new Christians, you cannot go out with a prostitute and then come to mass. Don't you realize that I have betrothed you to Christ? How can you go out then and be betrothed to a harlot?" This is a wicked city, very bad city, Ephesus too. So Paul, he had to go in and teach these guys to stay away. In Ephesus, there was a huge brothel and all these cities had brothels. And so Paul is telling these people, you have to live holy and pure. You can't do those kind of things. You can't, you know. And today we have pornography, and yes. it is a great scourge to men, especially. And it's going to take a lot of men straight to hell, too. And men that are listening that are addicted to this or or tinker with it, and young guys who think it's kind of funny and and uh, enticing. Get away from it as quick as you can because it can destroy your soul. Paul says that flee those youthful lusts. Flee these things. Real love is not like that. That is that is sexual sins. Paul mentions them by name. Homosexuality, he mentions those kind of activities by name. And um, these cities were full of that kind of corruption. And back then, you had to go to a brothel. Today, you just go into your own office. You click on your computer when no one's around and you can entertain yourself with these lustful things. And if men do that, get away from it now. There's help because it'll take your soul to hell. Paul lived in those kind of cities. He lived in those places where it's no different than where we live today. In some ways, it was just as bad. In some ways, I think because we can have it privatized in our own home, it might even be worse for us. But anyway, now he is preaching and Nero is a monster. Nero even killed his own mother. And he thinks that The best way to kill the snake is to cut the head off. You know, if you got a poisonous snake, you don't go poke his tail or try to grab him in the middle. You just cut his head off and it kills the snake. Well, this snake called the Christian church, which is causing all kinds of problems. They viewed the church Christians as the scapegoat because you're no longer worshiping Zeus. And these these gods are angry with us because you stupid Christians, you're worshiping this other God, and so Zeus is angry, and so everything that went wrong in your province or in Rome, they blamed it on the Christians, and so Nero was going to get rid of them, and so he, it says that even at one point he put in his courtyard, he put Christians on stakes and covered them with tar and lit them on fire to light up his gardens while they screamed as they died on crosses and on stakes, and he put Peter and Paul in prison together. It's called the Mamertine prison. When I take groups to Rome, we go to the Mamertine prison. It's at the north end of the Roman forum. And they were there for a while. We don't know how long. Timothy wrote his last letter, Second Timothy, from the Mamertine prison. And he wrote to Timothy, my beloved son in the faith, come to me quickly. Bring the cloaks and the parchments. It's cold down here. Please come to me because I know my time is up. I am going to be poured out as a libation and a sacrifice. I have run the race. I have finished mm-hmm. the course and waiting for me is a crown of glory of eternal Not life. Enough. Now, they, the Greek people, all these people had these different sports events called the Olympiad. And the uh, there was one called the um, Isthmus Games, which were every two years and Paul would be there making tents for all the people that came to these games. And you would train for four years. You'd even shave all the hair off your body and you'd oil yourself down and they ran completely naked so that there was no wind resistance no hair even to be a wind resistance so when they ran the race there's nothing to stop them that's why in hebrews it says that you run the race cast aside anything that would encumber you that's the it's racing images that's the olympics you throw aside anything that would encumber you anything that would slow you down cause you to trip any sin and run the race and awaiting for you is a crown of eternal life what did the guys win in Paul's day. A stupid piece of celery or a bow branch off a pine tree. What a stupid reward. You race and you practice for four years to put a piece of vegetable around your head, and it's going to rot and fall off in two days anyway. You do four years for that. Paul says, when I run the race, when we Christians run the race, we win a crown of eternal life, which is imperishable eternal life. Mm -hmm. So he writes to Timothy and says, that's happening to me now. I'm done. It was his last will and testament. And he writes this to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And it says they took him out of the prison on one misty morning. Early writing says that Paul and Timothy were killed on the same day. Peter was taken to the Vatican circus at the time. It wasn't part of Rome, it was across the Tiber River out in a swampy area. It was not part of Rome. The Vatican today Mm -hmm. is not in Rome, it's on the other side of the river from ancient Rome. And there Peter was crucified upside down in Nero's circus and they took Paul out the south end of the city because you had to die outside the city walls, outside the Via Ostia. And today, when I take my groups and if you go on my website and look on my blog or on my YouTube channel and talk about Trey Fontane, Trey T-R-E Fontane. um, Or Paul, the end of Paul's, I have a video where I show you all these places and there's still this stone cobblestone that Paul walked on down that road. Now there's a church, but at that point in Paul's time, it was a place of execution. They would walk down those cobblestone that you can still see and touch today. And then there was a column and they tied the column. And I know what happened is I think Paul prayed the same way he heard Stephen pray that the Lord would forgive them. They know not what they do. And they took the sword and off with his head and they call it Tre Fontane, three fountains in Italian, because his head bounced as it rolled down the hill. And to this wow. day, there are three fountains of water where his head bounced. And they took his body and they buried it in the catacombs of St. Sebastian for safekeeping. And then you go in the catacombs of St. Sebastian where we have mass. And there's 614 graffiti. I'm almost done. Don't worry. I'm almost done. 614 graffiti on the tile pieces that they found. Petros y Paulos, ora, pray for us. In Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, Latin. The pilgrims came even back then, first, second century, Peter and Paul pray for us. Asking the saints to pray for us is not something Catholics invented in the Middle Ages. It's something that we did from the beginning. And their bones were kept there until it was safe. And then they took Peter and they put him where he was killed. And they took Paul and they buried him in the church outside of the walls, where you can go see his sarcophagus to this day. And Pope Benedict, had a researchers dig down and they put a video camera inside and they found purple fabrics the same as they found in peter's tomb which represented royalty it represented the royalty of the two princes of the apostles who founded the church of rome with their own blood and that's the story of paul
0: wow wow so much and that's only scratching the surface uh, people have got to oh. get <laughs> Um, you got to get the DVD, um, to know more contending for the faith. Great movie. I've watched this one. Um, I love how, yeah, you, you you're in, you're in the thick of it and you, you, are in the basket. That's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> um, I also
1: float in the Mediterranean on driftwood, but, um, in there is also a study guide In all the movies I have, there's a very complete study guide. There's no other study guide like that on Mary or Paul that you can get. So it's all tied to the Bible and the catechism.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So now I, um, I, uh, I take this personally. I mean, when uh, you may not know this, uh, Steve, but when Perugia was founded um, uh, in two thousand and five, uh, we we wanted to think of a saint um, to dedicate, you know, to to the to Perugia apostolate, and Saint Paul was the first to come to mind because our mission was to evangelize the world, and we thought, what would have Saint Paul done if he had the tools we have today? If he had to be shipwrecked and he, had, and he was in and out of jail, he was whipped and, and scourged and beaten and, and all that opposition. Um, and, and look how, how much of the world he converted, of the known world then, and what we have now, the tools of the internet, what would he do if he had what we have? <laughs> My goodness.
1: And not yeah. only that, but I'm convinced I, now I don't know how many people you speak to in a day or how many people are watching this. But I say this of Al Crest to say, and Teresa Tamio, who are Catholic uh, commentators and media up here. I say that you probably speak to more people in one day or even in one week than Paul spoke to in his whole lifetime yeah. with using yeah. the media like we're using right now. We may be speaking to more people right now than Paul spoke to in his whole lifetime.
0: Isn't that phenomenal? The responsibility, um, but the opportunity we need to be taken advantage yep. of too.
1: Yep. Use the internet for good things, not bad things.
0: Yes. Amen. Well, th- thank you so much, Steve. That's uh, so exciting. I'm, I'm charged up uh, hearing that. And um, uh, yeah, just want to turn to St. Paul every single day, you know, ask for his uh, inspiration.
1: I love St. Paul. Um, yes. I have to say if I have any New Testament hero, it'd be St. Paul. I love the guy.
0: Wow. Literally changed the world. Um, let's uh, uh, as we close off, um, again, uh, just finally your website again, a Catholic Catholic
1: convert. I'm going to get a picture of what I think he looked like. Hold on, just oh, second.
0: fantastic, I'm
1: ready for you. But no. this is what I think the real Jewish Saint Paul looked like.
0: Well, hold that up, yeah.
1: See, he's bald headed, got the big Jewish nose, the beard, his prayer cap, and he just looks that to me when I think of Saint Paul. That's what I see right there. There it is. <laughs> I'll send it to you. I'll send you an image please,
0: of it. Please. Thank you. He's, he's a tough, rough man, but soldier for Christ. Beautiful.
1: So in a month, we'll come back and do uh, the Apostolic Fathers. These are guys, these right. are exciting guys.
0: And that'll be the last one of, of our nine-month series. And, and then yep. maybe in two years' time, we'll have to, or three years' time, whenever the, the last one is, we'll have to do one last one <laughs> together. Good.
1: But I'm also I'm putting together right now Stations of the Cross for you that I'm going to do.
0: Yeah, can um love to announce that here and now on um, uh, Lenten Pilgrimage, A Journey Through the Stations of the Cross. We we're so impressed with your uh, CD, which is the CD of the month for Augustine Institute.
1: Institute.
0: Um, and and so your meditation of the stations are so impressive. You really feel like you're there uh, alongside Christ. And, and so we've asked you to do them uh, on video. And so we're going to be releasing a video version of the stations, which we're super excited about. Um, it launches um a uh, 2 weeks before easter so we're going to be journeying right through so it's the uh, 22 21st of march going right up until easter sunday um uh, and there's that 15th station which is the resurrection of course yep. um and we'll have other other speakers are going to just share just uh, their insights to lent as a whole um but you're you're our guide for the station so super excited can't wait for that i'm
1: going to bring in the medical the uh, cultural um the biblical and the typology there's typology all the way through and, and get to know a few people that we only hear mentioned like uh, um the women who followed christ and uh, veronica mm-hmm. and it's a, there's a, it's a, going to be a very interesting i love doing this mm-hmm. i'm going to do there each one will be a 10 minute meditation on each station
0: yeah fantastic well sign up at uh, PerusiaMedia.com and, and sign up to this uh it's free to register Um, and please take advantage of that and and have a a Lent like none other leading right up into um, the Holy Week and then Easter, of course. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you. you. Um, Pray for us. We're praying for you. And thanks, everyone, for watching. It's another Perusia podcast. We're here on the journey with the footprints of God, and it's Steve Ray. I'm Shelba Ray, your host. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. God bless.